Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm Alex. I'm also Scuzzy Gruen, and I am joined this week by my very good Keyforge friend, Boulevard Blake. What's happening, pal? Hey, man. I'm doing very well off a night of forging, IRL. Yes, last night we got to get together in Vancouver. It was you, myself, the Wheeling Keyforger Rick, and a few other locals for the first live session that we've had in quite some time in a public Indeed. place. And my goodness gracious, uh, it was a it was a really fun experience. But it really did get me started thinking on kind of the fact that we're restarting from ground zero. Uh, I think in some ways, in terms of rebuilding what we had going. Yeah, I would. 100% agree with you. Um, not only just in terms of community wise, but it's also, you know, just playing in person is a totally different animal to playing online for so many different reasons. Yeah. And that's actually one thing I really wanted to address off the top, which is this is only like my, the second or third occasion I've ever had to play Dark Tidings in real life. And let me tell you, Blake, I like that set so much better IRL than I do online. Like, yeah. you know, I, I've played a relatively large amount of it online, and my impression of it was always like, ah, this isn't as exciting to me as the last couple of sets. Like, it's got some interesting intricacies and stuff like that, but it's just not as much fun to play as Worlds Collide or Mass Mutation were. Um, or even at this point, like AOA, if I go back to AOA, I find it a little more fun, possibly a little more fun than Coda, just because I'm so burnt out on Coda after, yeah, after playing so much of it. But, you know, that's kind of the impression I was left with. And then playing it live and in person, I had so much more fun with it. And I think it's a combination of two things, Blake. One, the intricacy of the interactions, um, although it can be a little mind boggling, gives you so many options on your turn. Mm -hmm. And two... The fact that there is still like a freshness and newness, having not played a lot of it live, that, you know, really sort of gives it like that new set flavor, even though it's been out for quite some time at this point. So, yeah, I, I got to say, just playing it live and in person, I was really feeling it more so than I thought I would. No, I, I hear you on that one. I um, I got to open up some Star Alliance action, which I happen to have Professor Emeritus Kering, which is that one power creature that when you play it as a deploy um if the tide's high you get to use both of uh professor emeritus caring's neighbors so that's that house cheating i just love and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to get to to do some shenanigans in that way like i'm i'm loving star alliance in this set to a point where i don't know if you ever have this alex like you mm -hmm. you have like a house in a set that you're like, oh, I don't think I'm really a fan of that house. And then you play it and you're like, oh, actually, I think I just haven't played it in a while. I really love that house. It's so much fun. Yeah, I think I had a little bit of that of, of uh, with Dis in um, AOA initially. Like I remember uh, okay. thinking like I'm not feeling Dis as much as I did in, in Coda. And now if I like a good Dis layout in, in AOA, I really enjoy because there's lots of fun stuff you can do with it. But that's also me having played it more, seen it played well by yourself and others and really understanding what you can do with it and the, the way the disruption works with it. And I think my initial impressions of that way back in the day were probably the fact that there was so much like stun Um like reaping reap stunned like repaid right. uh yeah. in dis and that was pretty frustrating but uh i mean the deck that i opened up last night for sealed and i gotta say this is a terrific set for sealed 
um, yeah. uh, had three sea urchins in it, which was super fun, um, and ways to recur them as well um, with Witch of the Dawn and a few other options for like bringing them back, the Novo Architect, so that I could bring them back, like archive them uh, out of my discard and stuff like that. So right. there's a couple of games where I got to use them to steal quite a few times, like each of the three of them got played multiple times. So that That's was awesome. pretty fun. But it was also that classic uh, matchup in a, in a sealed game where both people's decks have a glaring weakness and it's sort of mm. like, does my deck have the answer? And if it does, then I get to win. And if it doesn't, then I, you know, maybe it's a more even matchup or maybe I get to lose. And that's the kind of like skilled play that I really enjoy. Obviously, every once in a blue moon, somebody opens up some real heat in the sealed game and just runs away with the whole day. But more often than not, I find it's that it's just on the basis of matchups. And that's kind of what makes sealed fun. And this set seems like it has a lot of that in it. Totally. I also want to talk on the difference between playing in person than on TCO. And I have to say that when you have something like the Star Alliance house cheat or like a gang or not combo, anything like that, the one where you're going to have to do a lot of sequencing, it's actually quite annoying to be constantly clicking, like click here, move your mouse here, as opposed to just physically moving the card Mm. the correct way. It just feels tedious online and somehow in person it doesn't feel at all maybe it's the tactile nature of it but it just like i really don't enjoy those those like things that start happening where you're really having those more intricate turns online because it just feels like incessant clicking as opposed to like actually verbally speaking what you're doing grabbing the cards exhausting them readying them all those different things i i just prefer it so much more than having to do that online I think that part of it as well is the fact that when you're physically interacting with stuff and like saying it aloud, like narrating your turn, as we often Mm -hmm. refer to it, there's like a different thought process that kicks in. If it's all internal and I'm just clicking the mouse, I'm not thinking about it as hard as I am if I'm saying it aloud, right? Like I'm really. Yeah. So, and that really does add to it. And, you know, there's certainly something to be said, I think, for learning to like play a deck live against a real opponent versus learning to play it online. Um, mm-hmm. And that really does change the way that you sort of like learn the deck, play the deck, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, definitely that factor. I, I had a really good time. I had I only one one of my, my three games. I had a really excellent game against uh, your buddy Shane, who was one of the first times he's come out. Um, although he did take down a tournament, uh, I'm told, way back, uh, a little while back. Um, but it was good to see folks again. But only six of us there, when we'd been averaging, I think, in the previous series before Omicron shut us down, um, closer to like 10 to 12 on average. And that's a bit of a bummer. And kind of one of the things that we have to address right now is the fact that, you know, uh, there's people, obviously, that we've lost people by attrition. They've moved on to other games. They don't have as much time as they had. They're still not comfortable coming out. Um, You know, there's people who just aren't going to come out. But then there's also like the question of there's people who could be interested, people who played the game, you know, faithfully for a number of sets, but maybe have fallen off because of the, uh, the pandemic or people who are like relatively new to the game and have the opportunity to get in. Um, maybe there's there's some cheap product available to them at their local store or whatever else. How do we rebuild from there? That's a very good question. I think someone, I can't remember where this was said, but I know someone mentioned that, um, as a result of there being, this hiatus announcement some people only play knowing that there is high level tournaments and since for the most part there are no high level tournaments those people have gone into other games like i feel like flesh and blood has really taken off during the pandemic and had a lot of 
IRL big tournaments available for people who could travel to those places where Keyforge hasn't had that same luxury. And in our local scene, that hasn't been the story for us. But I know in the US, the whole flesh and blood thing has really taken over. I know Jupiter uh, has been diving full into flesh and blood and really just not doing Keyforge at all now because he likes that competitive. Like he plays games for that competitive nature and that competitive mm-hmm. scene that does exist where i feel like in vancouver we don't have quite that same level like we i feel like we have a nice balance of people who like the competitive scene also enjoy the casual scene and the people who only want to play the casual scene but the people who are competitive are not exclusively competitive like they enjoy playing a variety of formats and bringing different kinds of decks to test the the waters of can this actually stand up in this environment type of thing and we are blessed for that. So I really think that we're just in a position of we move to a new night. It's the first time people are still getting used to the transition, uh, work schedules, all that sort of thing. So I feel that as we get to summer, we're going to see a ramp up in the ability of our own scene to go that route. But for other scenes, Alex, what is your thoughts on how do you kind of get people in? I mean, consistency is a big part of it. Um, once folks know that there is an established night um, and that it's not going to be something that's going to get like pulled out from under them, like, I mean, anything could still happen. We don't know if another variant pops up and suddenly we're back where we started from. We don't know if Omicron makes another surge and, you know, new restrictions get put in place. But, you know, knock on wood, it really does look like things right now are getting back towards you know, the ability to go out as long as precautions are taken. People wear masks, people show vax cards, you know, sanitize your hands, um, you know, don't get too much up in people's personal space, etc. So I guess, you know, once once you've established that and you've established a schedule so that people just know there's a reason to go out or know that if they can't make it this week, there'll be an opportunity next week, that really does help. Like, it's it's one thing to get invested in a game or stay invested in a game when you, you know... You just don't know if you're going to have the opportunity to play, but knowing that those nights are consistent or those days are consistent and knowing that you'll have a game to go to really does have a powerful psychological effect. The biggest problem that we have, of course, is that, you know, you have to have a core base of people there or else who's going to, you know, if a person shows up once and there's only one other person there, they might have fun playing that one person a couple of times, but you know it's not going to be enough to, yeah. to make them want to come out again. So you do really have to marshal at least three or four regulars. I think it's four. Yeah. I think four is the magic number, being that you have three opponents you get to play against with four people. And on top of that, you basically have a number that if you're four of you are showing up every week, that means you're at least playing. You may not be able to play the same style of tournaments. It may just be Archon, or if you guys want to do Sealed, do Sealed type of thing. But the truth is, is having those people there each and every time that this event is scheduled means that any new players who come, they're not coming into an empty store that one time. People mm-hmm. are like, you know what? We didn't. We only had the four of us. Let's not. Let's just not go this week. And that's the week that another person shows up and the store thinks that you're all coming, like all that sort of stuff. And that leads me, I think, to the next thing that's important is... If you are gung-ho about having something in your area, take the bull by the horns and actually initiate conversations with your LGS and the owner of that location and and have conversations like, hey, I'm interested in, in doing this. I'll do the legwork if you can just make sure it's like on your socials or on your website somewhere so people can register 
and I will like talk to people in the community. I'll try and pull people in. Can we have a night to do this or a space to do this? Sometimes stores don't want to dedicate resources to a game that's one seems like it's on hiatus and they're just unsure what's happening or two they're not already seeing an influx of sales in that sort of category Mm -hmm. so if you're willing to do most of that work and it's for your own enjoyment too at the end of the day you're going to get the reward of building that community yourself and honestly i think we can speak from being a part of a community that we've actually helped foster and grow just by our nature of messaging people being active on different uh, social sites to kind of say like, hey guys, who's coming out tonight? What are we doing? Like things like this is creating that conversation and dialogue really helps to make people know that this exists. Like you're not alone and there's people there with it. Totally, 100%. Um, I think one thing that uh, has to be said, and this is a thing that I tread lightly around because I understand it's not always an option for everybody, but um, one of the other things that you're going to have to do if a game store is in fact where you're going to end up playing, a game store, game cafe, whatever else, if they're providing space to you, spend some money. Yeah. Like if you're playing Archon and you're bringing your own decks, buy some sleeves. If you need some dice for another game or something else, like just anything, buy some snacks, buy anything. Make sure that they see you spending the money. Make sure that like you don't get the reputation as the group who are a bunch of cheapskates who just use the space and don't actually contribute anything to the store. Like, you know, you're buying your product elsewhere, your Keyforge product elsewhere, and then bringing it here to play it and not spending any money on stuff. And like, yeah, obviously I bring sleeves and decks and deck boxes and things that I bought elsewhere to the game that I'm playing at. But, you know, at the same time, I'm also, you know, I'll, I'll buy something. I'm always sure to try and spend money. So it's not just, you know, your your tournament entry or your weekly, you know, $5 or whatever. And that's just to demonstrate that, like, you're actually invested in that store having something going on. It's not just enough to show up. You know, games are a luxury I understand that some people may have more money than others to be able to spend, and some people may like have a very set budget for this. But you know, support the store that's supporting you and supporting the community, and show them that you you're invested and that you're willing to invest in them to return that investment. Yeah, it can be as simple as you have four players and you each chip in a couple bucks to buy one deck, and you just do round robin. Whoever has the best record at the end of the night gets the deck. That's a very cost-effective way. Should I mean, that's probably not going to cost you more than three bucks each. So I think that's a very uh, good point that you bring up. And I think that's like the the lowest barrier you can do. So you're supporting where if you're not each buying a deck for different financial reasons, at least buy one so it's showing that you, you did this. And maybe that will encourage the store to find its own price support as things grow. But I think the the long and the short of it is, is that having a core dedicated group of people who are willing to come out each scheduled evening is the baseline. Like that's, that is the foundation Mm. of what you will build the success of getting your store having a night. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like if you don't have the bodies, then, then it's doomed, right? Like it's not enough. And you know, I've heard people say like, Oh, you know, I just show up and I have a bunch of decks. And then if people come up and they seem interested, I'll try and get them to play. And that's a decent strategy but also, like, it's not going to be a long-term one. Like, the number no. of people that you're going to teach who are just never going to get into it or who, like, just sort of go, like, oh, yeah, that looks neat and maybe, like, check it out briefly or chat with you about it is not going to be – I don't feel like it's a long-term strategy for success. I genuinely feel like you need to make a connection, whether it's online or 
you know, just by even putting up like a, a bulletin board notice or something like that in the store so that people like get in touch or join like a local Facebook group or a discord or something else like that. So you can organize something that's like your long-term strategy and like four people shouldn't be that hard to put together. Um, obviously we all have lives, we're all busy and not everybody's going to be able to make it for, for every single event. But I feel like if, you know, there's any chance of you getting an, a night going in your area, then it's always going to be on the backs of that magic number four. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mike. So with that being said, when you do go to play IRL, just remember to uh, bring your tokens. Uh, if you can <laughs> bring extra tokens, because you never know who's going to show up. And on top of that, just uh, remember that when you're in person, you get to talk to someone out loud. So you get to say things, you get to share your game experience, and you get to have fun little chats after the game. Those are all the things you may have missed because although you do get to do them online to a degree, especially if you're setting up with people you know, so you have a Discord conversation, it is much different in person. The social aspect of it is so much stronger. It is the reason why I play these type of games. is because I like disconnecting from technology to get to have a time of strategy and a little bit of competitive nature into the mix sitting across from someone else and just having a fun evening yeah what is it you know this might sound like terrible um <laughs> but what is it about winning in person that feels better than winning online i think it's because the emotion is felt on each mm -hmm. side of the table Mm -hmm. So you can see someone's trepidation or the struggle. So you or the the arrogant look on their face. I'm guilty of this one when they're they're pulling a good move and then it suddenly gets thwarted because you have the answer. Like there's just the response, like the audible response, like oh, you got me there. Like I totally thought I had. Like I think those moments are what really sell the the in person experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you're you're absolutely right. Like it feels like, for lack of a better term, more real. You yeah. know, you can win or lose a hundred games online, and like it just washes over me. I don't care. But for some reason, like the, the little thrill of pulling out a victory, or like even like a competitive loss, sometimes you know, it just feels mm -hmm. better. Like you get that little adrenaline rush, and I yeah. rarely get that online, even when I've played in like organized tournaments and stuff like that, where I've gone relatively deep into the tournament. So it's a different experience, totally. and. Then that's kind of what like what keeps what I'm realizing now, like two years into a pandemic when we've, you know, this podcast, like half of the existence of this podcast has been during a pandemic time when we couldn't really play in person. And like, obviously, it's affected the way that we relate to the game. Obviously, it's affected some of our enthusiasm for the game, perhaps more so me than yourself. But like, I definitely feel like, you know, last night was this, what I needed to really like stand back and go like yes this is what i like about this game this is why i want to stay involved with this game i don't want this to just purely be an online experience that's less satisfying to me on so many levels so totally. certainly we'll be uh continuing to support those establishments here in vancouver british columbia that are going to be putting on keyforge events and hopefully rebuilding some of what we had going on um because we had a relatively healthy community here for quite some time and i think a lot of the folks once they know that it's safe to go out again once they feel comfortable with it once they know that there's not going to be a rug you know uh, uh pulled out from underneath them are going to be eager to come back and that's going to be really exciting because one i miss a bunch of those people and two i think there's still a lot of fun games to be had with those people I actually think the the true test of what's going to happen is 
when we come off of hiatus. I think mm. there's probably a core group of people who are like, I don't really want to put energy into something that I has an uncertain future from their point of view. Because not everyone, I think, feels the same way. Like, it's, I think it's more people who are playing um, more than just Keyforge. Like, they have a diversity of games to go to. And it could be just like, I have limited time to play games. These ones I know are continuing onward. So I'm going to and put my energy into that. Whereas there is others like uh, myself who am enjoying the game no matter what. And I have lots mm-hmm. of products, so therefore I can keep enjoying it in that way. But other people maybe don't want to spend something on spend on something that may not be lasting in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll be the, the acid test. But, uh, you yep. know, I, I, I maintain a high level of optimism with regards to the return of the game at some point. Um, because I cannot see, like, if they're they're not producing product to be sold, and they're plan if they were planning to kill off the game, I cannot see why they would make that announce. Why they wouldn't just say that? Like, what, yeah, what's they're already the- not making new products, so yeah, you're exactly right. yeah. So it's not like, all right, we're going to hold off on this cancellation announcement until we get this last set out the door, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I have to feel like a reason, um, and that the, the stated reasons are the correct ones, but. Hopefully with the end of the pandemic, we'll see some movement on that. We cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help Help from Future Self. Self. I got one for us this week. Um, Pay attention to creatures that have symmetrical effects, Blake. Obviously, we're (laughs) very used to seeing this with artifacts. Like, you know, uh, lots of artifacts have symmetrical effects, effects that affect both players. But I'm so much less used to creatures that have that effect. And last night I was playing uh, against our friend Charlie, who uh, works actually at the game store that uh, that we were playing at. And he had a deck that had Seneschal Sargassa, who is a Sanctum creature who has the effect uh, after the player raises the tide, the creature they con- a creature they control captures two from their opponent. And I kept forgetting that that was available to me too. And that that was a method of amber control that I had access to. Now, I don't think I would have won the game that I was playing with Charlie if I'd been more conscious of this. But literally, it was a case of me going, you know, what am I going to do to like get him off? And all I had to do was eat the three chains to raise the tide, and I could have taken him off key a couple of times. So watch out for those symmetrical effects, and you know, be conscious of your other uh, your opponent's battle line, and maybe even leaving some creatures on their battle line if you think there are ways that you might be able to use them to your advantage. Totally. I mean, I think Dark Tidings has this point more so than any other set that's existed in the past. I bet you it has it like more times than the last sets combined actually in terms of being symmetrical effects that work like that because you have cards like hard simpson you have operative espion as well where once you raise the tide you have to actually think about sometimes like i actually Mm -hmm. shouldn't take the tide because upon doing so that allows my opponent to then take it back which then allows this moment to occur which would actually hurt me so it's it's that extra level that dark tiding provides that i i really love yeah, and that's why it makes it a cool set, and especially a cool set to play in that that uh, sealed environment where, you know, who knows if anybody's got heat, maybe you're just playing middle-tier decks, and, you know, th- that's where the interactions really shine, I think, True. because you have time to think through them and, and see how they interact with your own deck. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on The Crucible, uh, Scuzzy Gruen, uh, Blake, where can they find you? What have you got going on? 
You can find me on Discord if you want to reach out to me. That's Boulevard Blake number sign 3840, BLVD Blake number sign 3840. I'm uh, still doing my YouTube stuff. Uh, not quite as frequent videos as in the past, but I'm trying to put two or three a week. Uh, life's changed and got a little bit busier schedule, but uh, I'm still keeping on, keeping on, and uh, I appreciate everyone's support. I also understand that you uh, you did something that's going to be extremely interesting to watch this week. Yes, that's true. 132 AOA decks were opened, and now it's time to take a dive into those. Oh man, I can't wait. All right, we'll be back at you next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay fortunate.